podcast. I am very excited to go listen to today's episode and the guest, which I've already recorded. Eric, that's uh thought you want to come across as come across as modest and humble. It's not because I want to hear my voice. I want to listen to Ted Long, Toledo's greatest Toledo historian, uh, tell some of these really neat stories. You, uh, if you're new to the podcast, Ted has been on a couple of times. It le- I can't remember if it was two or I'm including his visit with Jason Kutchman in the library. Okay, so uh, Ted has been on before because he wrote the hunt. He wrote. He's wrote written several books. Um, a hundred things you have to do in Toledo before you die. And he's got lots of projects. The Holy Toledo History blog, if you've ever stumbled on it, that's Ted. The stories he knows are incredible. He caught my attention um, when I first came across him like about a year ago. Um, He had known of a story that uh, Frederick Douglass kind of had a fusion with Abraham Lincoln here in Toledo. And maybe I'm overstating it just a little bit because this is a history passion point of mine. Um, it's possible that certain historic things don't happen for the good of this country if not for that chance encounter here in Toledo. Ted has that story. It's at the end of the podcast here, the interview. A couple of things before I bring uh, Ted in and go off to, to do a little bit of editing so you don't have to dip away from the podcast. Three things. Um, uh, some people have been posting, and I'm not calling anybody out. Not calling anybody out. Just want to share a little bit of perspective. You know, I've said before, don't let your passion become your your punishment. Don't let your passion become a prison where you say yes to every email. You say yes to, can you do this? Can you come in late? Can you stay? Or can can you come in early? Can you stay late? All that stuff. Um, not that people are necessarily taking advantage of your passion, but sometimes you can get too wrapped up in it. And you you got to separate your personal and professional life. Um, so this has been percolating on some social media. Do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Um, I I have I came across that saying when I was 20 years old. I'm like, yeah, this is why I love radio because it doesn't feel like work. So obviously we had different perspectives all these years later now. Um, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Never work a day in your life is crossed out. So do what you love and you'll work super hard all the time with no separation or any boundaries and also take everything extremely personally. Let me offer this perspective. Well, that's not completely wrong. Um, and again, I, I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of professional and personal experience, some very dark and morbid, and have moved around a lot of places. I'm, I'm very thankful and grateful for the experiences I've had in my life so that I can share them with you. So like my dad told me, so you don't make my mistakes or so you can make better decisions, more informed decisions. Um, if you are your own boss, I hope you do find those boundaries. Um, but I'll tell you this, even if you have a difficult time finding those boundaries and it's grating on you, it's impeding on your personal and your family life, it may be more tenable for you to manage that than dealing with mindless, incapable, middle manager emails and requests or corporate pushdowns. Because when you work for somebody else, you're working for somebody else. And as I've told people that are close to me that have gone for some of those positions in management or very high management, and they're like, it's a lot of work. It's 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 like 
it's working all the time in some ways. I'm like, yeah, but look at it this way. At least you get to control the chaos instead of somebody pushing things down on you. So if you have to choose between working for someone or your own business, which is always going to be so challenging those first few years, at least you get to implement your vision and your creativity and the buck stops with you um, financially and creatively. Another couple of things. Um, the When We Were Young concert I mentioned yesterday, there was a viral Facebook post. It had to be a 20-something girl pushing back on it. And I mentioned this yesterday that some people were concerned about the safety of this. And this girl pointed this out, like 60-some bands in one day um, in a smaller area. Like, how do they logistically pull this off? Like, those are valid questions. But she started it with... This is uh, this is trying to capitalize on our nostalgia. Yes, but people like paying into that capitalism, um, as evidenced by the fact that Kiss and the Rolling Stones and some of these other older acts from the '70s continue to tour. Every other year, it's a it's a retirement tour or the one last dance tour. But then they see that. They can continue to make some money. They they enjoy it. And people love going to the shows. Do you remember the movie Reminiscence? No, you don't. It was a, a Hugh Jackman movie. It was on HBO Max. Not a great movie, but I'll always watch a Hugh movie. And uh, there's a line in the movie. It was uh, something about like they were selling old memories to people, like virtual reality kind of stuff. And they said, nostalgia is undefeated. Hell yeah, it is. Um... So I don't know if this is preying on your nostalgia. It's giving people something that they want. Although, I'll throw this at you. The brain can play lots of tricks on us. One of those tricks is the brain doesn't do well with time. So we often remember things that were good um, in a way that they were actually better than they were. We give them more credit. We think something was excellent and it was really only just good in the moment. Conversely, things that were bad, we remember much, much worse. And the contrast of that is, I had this discussion with somebody today. Um, we think we can look in the future and go, yeah, this is how I'm going to feel about this in six years. You have no idea. In six years, you're going to go through so many perspective and experiential changes. You'll look back and go, I, I thought I was going to like this. What was I thinking? You were thinking that you weren't going to have those six years of experience. Did I have one more thing to get to before Ted? I'll leave the war. It's not a war on winter. It's a war on people who love winter. Just I'll, th- I'll throw this at you. People are saying, um, if it's going to be this cold, I want it to snow. As much as I hate winter, I don't want the snow. Um, how do, when I let the dog outside and it's snowing and cold... What does he bring in the house? They track snow into the house and salt and all that grime. When it's just cold, they don't they don't track anything into the house. Oh, Eric, but not everybody has a dog and, you know, I can clean them off. Okay, how about this, smarty pants? When it's just cold, how do you drive? The same as every other time you're in the car. How do you drive when it's cold and snowy? And I rest my case. Please. Spend some time. I enjoy, this is my favorite listen when I can have Ted on. Ted Long, historian, Remarkable 419. It's so great to have him on again.
Eric, how's this? Is this better? Oh, this is perfect. I this is like this is a Grammy award I can give you. <laughs> how about that? Cool. Um, I yeah. uh. I had a wireless headset on, and I think that was a problem, so I, I had to go out to my briefcase and find my old wired Apple headphones, and these work great. Perfect, perfect. Well, you know the deal we're recording. Um, I got to tell you, I had no idea. I should have known otherwise. I had no idea you had another job. Like, it's like a normal job, a regular yeah. job. How about that? Yeah. Well, you know, I, gotta, I have to pay the bills. <laughs> yeah, and I know. History, history doesn't pay the bills that well. I love it, but it doesn't... It doesn't bring in a lot of cash. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, I have a list of things to get to, and I've, I've been looking forward to, to speaking with you. Hopefully, we, we were last together during Jason's library chat. When was that? Uh, you know, I think that was uh, last spring. Was it that long ago? Yeah. My Lord. Yeah. Um, how have you been? I've been great. I've had a, it was a whirlwind summer and fall, you know, with both books being published in the same year. Yeah. Kind of running around and doing uh, different engagements, but I, I, I loved it. I just had a blast. Got to meet a lot of great people. And, um, and I'm back to, as you know, I mean, I'm working on three, three projects right now, so I'm, I'm staying busy. Uh, well, no, I, I don't know that offhand, but uh, let, let me ask you, did you wind, have you been on 13 ABC a lot lately as well? Yeah, so that was the other thing I've started is um, James Starks and I have launched a little franchise on 13 called Finds in the 419. Yeah. Yeah, and it's based on the 100 Things to Do in Toledo book awesome. that I published last year. Yeah, And uh, yeah, we've been doing that since September. We do a segment every week, every Monday. It's on the uh, 4 o'clock broadcast. I can't, I can't tell you where at what time, but usually it's towards the end, uh, like, you know, 10 minutes to five and uh it's been a blast i've enjoyed working with james and we've had fun just you know going around town and picking out different places and telling the story yeah that's and that's that's you um i i was telling a friend i had seen you on one of these not that long ago but i thought it might might have just been a one-shot deal um but i was telling um my friend becky over at, uh, at wrqn about podcast stuff and that you were going to be on and i said do you know ted long she's like was he at Moe's in Rossford the other day? <laughs> yeah. I said, yes, that's that Ted Long. So I'm glad you've got that going. There's nobody better to do it. Well, and telling the stories of Moe's, for example. I mean, uh, th those are stories that don't get told very often. So I'm having a ball just, uh, you know, out there sharing things with people that people need to know about. Um, I do want to ask you about the projects, but one thing jumped to, to mind. And for those that might not uh, remember our past conversations, or anything like that. I, I think uh, maybe I can bring people up to speed with you're the guy that um, that prevented us from having potentially a national embarrassment. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Uh, no, but go ahead. <laughs> Come on, you know you don't have to be afraid of me. I, I'm, never, I'm, not, I'm not that devilish. You're the one that, that corrected the sign on the new 475 um uh, the sign that got put up on 475 northbound and southbound to correctly say when Toledo was established, right? Well, I was the one who definitely brought it up to their attention. And, you know, I don't want to take all the credit for that. It was actually Ted Ligabel who called me first and said, have you been over there yet? I said, no. And he said, take a look at the sign. 
<laughs> well, if anybody knows, like uh, you do know so much history here, and well, I'm going to just attribute that to you. And uh, sorry that I confused Ted's, but I, I remember that vividly because had nobody caught that, and, and like maybe Solheim showed up, that's that's not something we want to go viral for for looking dumb. Well, it's easy to understand how ODOT got that confused because I think they probably just pulled it right off Wikipedia, which is also confused. We need we need Tedipedia for Toledo. There we go. Exactly. Uh, so what are the three projects that you're working on right now? Well, I'm uh, probably the most current one that's going to be ready soonest is, um, if you're not aware, I'm doing a Instagram and website project called Remarkable 419. Yep, I know this. And uh, I'm working with a great, great photographer, uh, Matthew McNulty. Uh, really specializes in design and architectural uh, photography and he shoots the buildings or houses or spaces or whatever it is and then I write the historical essay and yeah so we're and that's on Instagram at at remarkable 419 or online at remarkable 419.com and our book will be coming out in October which would be a coffee table book of Matthew's work with some of my historical essays excellent um what I keep an eye on the account. Uh, I was double checking last, and I, I knew that I followed it. I was wondering if the ins- if the algorithm was serving it to me as I would like. Yeah. Um, what what have you uh, put up there so far, and maybe what's in the near term that you're going to get up on the account? We're uh, recently just did uh, Sylvania Historical Village mm-hmm. and the Cook Coleman House. Um, that was mostly interior stuff because they've. Volunteers years ago um, kind of restored that back to the way it looked when Dr. Coleman used it as his, um, you know, practice medicine back in the uh, beginning of the 20th century. And we've done um, a lot of fun buildings, um, you know, buildings you'd be familiar with from the old West End, but then some buildings you may not be familiar with that, um, you know, don't have the panache of, you know, something that you might see um, in Ottawa Hills or the old West End. It's been kind of a mish a mishmash and that's for us that's what makes it so fun yeah um what uh what are the other two projects besides remarkable that you're working on i'm currently finishing up uh the, my first draft of a book i'm working with with art weber and uh anybody who's familiar with metro parks and the beautiful photography that metro parks has always had that came from art weber he's probably our area's top nature photographer Excellent. art and i are we're working on a book on the history of the Maumee River. And uh, he's going to do all the photography, and I'm putting together um, kind of an opening essay on the history of the river. And then the rest of it has just really been a lot of fun, researching um, quotes and diaries and journals of people who lived and worked along the Maumee. And those will appear kind of interspersed with Art's beautiful photography. And that, you- that book is scheduled for... Uh, 2023. Could you give me a, a little tease of, of a story that you've come across? Because that, that sounds really fascinating. I, I didn't think of um, that aspect of it. I thought it meant maybe more waterways or whatnot. Not the people that actually are living around it. So what do you got? So one story I think is fascinating is takes place um, along the Maumee, actually on one of its... Um, Tributary tributaries in um, outside of Napoleon, and what was a ghost town or is a ghost town called Shunk, Ohio. 
You ever heard of that? I have not heard of Shunk, Ohio. Most people have not. This is in Harrison Township. Um, but this story just blows my mind. So the story goes that American Indians were somehow able to capture a um, payroll um, set up for Anthony Wayne's troops. And they, they got away with about $40,000 in gold plates that were going to be stamped out into gold coins. And they hid them. And apparently, you know, after so much time, they, uh, when the Indian Removal Act came in and Andrew Jackson pushed them all west, they left it and buried it. So, and, you know, as the story goes, they left a a warrior on a white stallion, uh, a ghost warrior, to guard the gold, and uh, eventually planned, you know, to come back. And um, so, from what I understand, there's been several, you know, small expeditions where people have gone into this Turkey Foot Creek area looking for this gold because people believe this, tr this, you know, portions of the story to be true. I find it fascinating. Yeah, for sure. So the book's going to be filled with all those kinds of stories, right? Those kinds of stories, as well as just, you know, uh, some really cool pioneer journals. You know, what was it like, you know, to live in the Black Swamp and along the river during, you know, pioneer days? Um, we've also got a lot of soldier journal entries uh, involving, you know, both the French, the British and, and um American and Native Americans, so it's going to be it's going to be an interesting read. Once, uh, like once a year, maybe sometimes twice a year. I, I might have mentioned this to you before. There is a um, a Yale course uh, history taught by a professor, David Blight. You, you might know him. He's not personally, but he, he's a pretty revered uh, Civil War historian. Mm -hmm. And uh, I go back and listen to it, and it's fascinating that I take new nuggets away from it each time. But I, I he, there's obviously a lot of Ohio in the Civil War, and um, like up until that time, I guess what, like the first several centuries of the country, here where we live now was like the the great west of the colonies. But a lot happened out here. And then people moved out west and they went through this area. There's so many stories here. You know, I just did a project for um, Toledo Spirits. Um, you know, they're getting ready to launch a new bourbon in April called uh, Lower Town. Okay. And so, you know, they, we were talking about different projects I'm working on. I think we're going to do some walking tours of Vistula, historical walking tours. And we got to start talking about, you know, what was it like for the pioneer that came to Toledo when it was the West? And I started doing some research into whether any like survival guides, like did, did you, was there a book you could read before you decided to go West? And I found some interesting things, but most of what I found was written later when people were going way west, like right. on wagon trains. So uh, bottom line is I, over Christmas, uh, like several weeks over the Christmas break, I've written a small essay in the uh, kind of a pretending to be someone explaining to someone from New York State what it's going to be like to move to Vistula and Port Lawrence in 1830 and it's uh, gonna uh, be a part of a kit that Toledo uh, spirits will use to help promote this lower town bourbon so it, it, it is amazing to think that this was the West this yeah. was you know the new West I, I I'm, I'm so I'm literal to a fault and I it always I don't do it so much anymore but like where we live most of the entire country calls it the the Midwest there's, yeah. there's nothing 
nothing west about it. It's the it's the Mideast for where things are now. But 150 years ago, this was west. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, a great uh, a great transition because I wanted to ask you since we've last spoken, there's been a lot of development or vision in the Vistula district, and I I, I call mm-hmm. it that um, because that's how I'm always familiar with it. But I know mm-hmm. the guys like Will Lucas and my my friend PK from Balance, who's part of the the Toll House. Um, mm-hmm. They're throwing around the name Lower Town, um, yeah. and you mentioned that's the name of the bourbon. So, give me some thoughts on where the direction of that neighborhood is going. Well, I, I'm excited because I've always felt, you know, over the years when I give tours of Toledo, you know, when I take people into that area, I'm always amazed at, you know, the light bulbs you can see going off over people's heads. They're like, "Wow, I never knew all this was here." And, you know, it's the same old story. It's like, you know, someday someone's going to do something <laughs> with this neighborhood. And it's happening now. And I'm, I'm t- really excited. I mean, the, the, the infrastructure's there, the, um, it, the proximity to the river, um, proximity to, you know, tra- uh, all the roads that you need. Everything's there. It just yeah. needs people to, you know, spend the time and spend the money. And that is going to be an incredible neighborhood. Yeah, the right it, it, which it was in its back in its day. Sure. When when was that? When because I think like since I've been here and and other people of my age and, and younger, they just know that that's a neighborhood that you know, for lack of a better way to put it, they didn't want to be around. Um, no, when when you think about the history of Toledo, you know there were two towns, there were two villages, Port Lawrence, which is really the intersection of Monroe and Summit Street, at where Ford Industry Square sits towards Swan Creek, and then there was Vistula or Vistula. Uh, which was um, ben St- Benjamin Stickney's, uh, you know, in, uh, invested in it and really promoted it. And that's that area um, on the other side of Cherry Street. And those two villages eventually merged to form Toledo, really to, in, in a self-preservation to, tr- to make sure that they became, you know, a big player in where the, the um, uh, Miami Erie Canal was going to uh, terminate. They actually did all this and didn't win the terminus of the canal. The canal was actually terminated at Manhattan, which was another little investor village that was further up at Manhattan Boulevard. That canal ended up being too shallow and they, everybody came down to Toledo anyway. But at the time, um, the way I've read it, uh, Port Lawrence was kind of the dirty, noisy, it's where they offloaded the ships um, and Vistula was where the elite moved to. It was further away. It was lower down the river. Um, uh, Port Lawrence was referred to the upper landing or upper town, and Vistula was the lower landing because it's lower on the river as the river flows out the lake. And that was where, you know, if you look around, all the elite homes were built before we had street-drawn streetcars or uh, horse-drawn streetcars to take people out to quote, the suburbs of the old West End, you built your, you know, really nice homes in that Vistula area or, you know, along Jefferson Avenue or Madison. Isn't it fascinating? And you've done so much research, you could probably see this for, for the for the layman. Um, they only recognize the neighborhoods they've grown up in, maybe their parents, you know, there's been some transition in some places, but isn't it crazy how cyclical things are? Um, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure in, in a couple of decades, there will be a place now that where people love and they're like, this is trashy. I never want to be here. Right. And it, it's just the, 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 
the nature cycle of how we develop and build and then run down cities. But I'm I'm very excited for Vistula. I'm very excited for the Lower Town Bourbon. Um, do you think the Lower Town name will will take in in similarity to downtown, uptown, um, or will the Vistula hang on? I think they'll both survive. I think there'll be people who still always you know refer to it as Vistula, but. I, I really like the whole brand of Lower Town myself. I mean, it takes you back to the real history. Um, and I think it, it's, uh, I don't know, it, it's, it has character. It does. It does. And I wish, I had, I had never known that character because when I was living downtown and uh, there, there was, I, I would go to that Y up at the old, yeah. uh, it's a TPS building now. I forget what it was before. Um, but I would go to that Y, and that would be my trip, like cross cherry up to the Y. And a friend of mine uh, rented a townhome there, like off of Lagrange somewhere, and it was not what I expected. There was um, a, a mix of people and styles of homes in that neighborhood, and obviously, I don't want to see people booted out, which often happens. Gentrification has become kind of a yeah. dirty word, but we're, we're smarter exactly. about it now. Um, but I'm really excited mm. to watch that whole neighborhood. Uh, develop in, into what it'll be. And we've already got some anchors there with, you mentioned like Toledo Spirits. Um, I've gotten, I had a, a neat little meeting with um, Arc Restoration and Ambria, who's incredible with what they're doing with the Wonder Bread Factory. Yeah, exactly. And yep. what Will's doing in the crew at Toll House. Have you been over there yet? I've not. I've, I and I know Will, Will and I go back a number of years back to the old TEDx Toledo days, um, but I will get over there. And the other one that's exciting is what's going on over in, Westminster Church and the, the old um, um, Miller Distributing uh, setup. That's a pretty pretty exciting project. I'm unfamiliar with it. Maybe I know the geography of it, but tell me more about it so I can familiarize myself. Um, so it's, I, I think it was one of the fir first projects to really um, pick up steam and get some of the tax uh, money that's available. And I'm, it, it, it's the old Westminster Church, and I'm trying to remember the corner, but it's kind of across from the Casey Pomeroy house. Um, and then that property from there stretches um, back east towards the river, including the old Miller um, distributing uh, building. And they're pulling all that together for office and I believe uh, some retail space as well. I had um, Matt Killam on from the Metro Parks. Do you know him? Mm -hmm. Yes, um, Matt was on yesterday, and I, and I asked him to give me like the long-term vision because stories are always coming out about Glass City Metro Park. I can't keep track of what phase we're in or not in, and having him discuss all of that. And I, I know the word Riverwalk, and that's the vision for it, has been tossed around, and I'm kind of familiar with that. And I've always wondered why we haven't. Well, I know why we haven't done more with our riverfront, but with him, with him explaining that vision, and granted, it's fully like a decade away, mm -hmm. it's going to be pretty exciting. And I guess for some people, in the same way that downtown is unrecognizable now in a good way, um, the other side of the river will be just that. It, it, you know, for somebody like myself who's been here now almost 10 years, I've watched downtown grow and blossom. For people who are just moving downtown to the Standart or to uh, the Marina Lofts, in 10 years, um, north of Summit on both sides of the river will look equally unrecognizable. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I've um, just finished up a project with the National Museum of the Great Lakes, and this will go live closer towards spring, but uh, it's a walking tour, another one of my uh, digital walking tours where you just use your phone and your headphones, and I narrate as you walk uh, from Middle Grounds Metro Park all the way up to the Cherry Martin Luther King Bridge. 
and I'm now just finishing up three more companion tours to that that are going to be architectural tours of downtown. So with all these projects that you're doing, you still have to have a regular job? Yeah. Unfortunately, okay. yeah, you got to pay the bills. I know, I know. The passion projects don't pay, but uh, that's right. I, I, I know what you're talking about. Um, speaking of like architectural stuff, I lately there's been more stories to get this uh, this four corners spot um, redeveloped mm -hmm. downtown. I, I know one of the corners I think is the Spitzer Building. Do you know the intersection right. I'm talking about? Oh sure, yeah, uh, yeah. So what are the other three? And 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 that seems like a, a place ripe for development. Oh, it's definitely uh, ripe for development, and it's you know one of the last corners downtown where the all four existing buildings are still there. So yeah. you've got the you have the Nasby, yep. then you have the Nicholas Building across the street. Um, the Nicholas Building was longtime uh, home of uh, um, uh, one of the bigger banks, and then across from that is really the back end of the the old LaSalle and Cook uh, department store, and then the Spitzer Building. And then you have the what's now a, uh, a uh, Huntington Bank, which I think that was a home savings bank. And they're just all four just classic buildings. Yeah. And I always tell people that Madison Avenue area there is like Toledo's only urban canyon. You know, you can drive through there and the buildings are tall enough that, you know, you feel like you're in a really big city. But I also tell people that. What's really fun about that area is most of those big buildings were built really out of a ego war between the bankers. You know, one banker would build their building and then the next one would want to have, you know, make theirs better than that one. And, then, and you can just see the progress of all these beautiful buildings up and down Madison. What have you heard, if anything, of how they'll be developed moving forward? I haven't heard a lot. You know, we've worked with the land bank on, on the Remarkable 419 project. We've actually been in and out of the Spitzer building watching the, the work they're doing there with the, the roof. What we've been told is, you know, they had a lot of hurdles to get by on the NASB because of some federal uh, red tape tying the building back to the old um, TARDA station. And that's all now gone and they've got investors um, and it's we should be learning soon about what's coming. But I'm ex I'm terribly excited. I think uh, to me, what's happened downtown's been fantastic. But Four Corners has to be part of this this whole revitalization. And we need that. We need some kind of PJ's Deli back in that area too. I know people yeah. miss that place a lot. Oh, I miss that place. Yeah, um, that was great. You probably know of or knew of Don King, a radio person. Oh yeah. Okay, so. Uh, I never met him, uh, but his daughter, Therese, do you know Therese? I do not. Okay. Uh, Therese is, she is some type of royalty. I don't want to say politician, but some type of royalty downtown. I might have mentioned before, like, if you go anywhere with Therese, like during an art walk or the Old West End Festival, it literally takes you 30 minutes to walk a yeah. block because she knows everybody. That's great. And um, Therese, the reason I know those four corners, even though since I've been here, they've been kind of dormant. Uh, I think Therese was like one of the last people working in the Spitzer building for her job. And mm -hmm. she would she would always tell me to come by and check out the architecture, and I'd see it from the outside. So yeah, I'm looking forward to the development of that corner. You know, I have a, um, a incredible photograph uh, that I share with people when I'm doing tours, and I tell the story. The Spitzer Building, when it was built, the Spitzer family or or Mr. Spitzer actually put up I think a thousand dollars to the first person who could land an airship on the roof. 
Are you familiar with this story? No, but this is why <laughs> I like to have you on. Yeah. So back in the day, that was, you know, one of just a few what we call skyscrapers. Uh, and they, at the time, they were uh, people were playing around with dirigibles and they we hadn't, you know, the Wright brothers hadn't flown yet. But they were thinking that they were going to be landing these uh, balloons on rooftops and using it for, you know, just like a train or a canal boat or anything else to move people around and goods around. So uh, no one had successfully landed any of these dirigibles in downtown Toledo. So he put the offer up. Guy tried twice, and the second time he succeeded. And I've got a picture of this this beast that he was flying, and it just looks like a big cigar, um, you know, shaped balloon. But then it has a iron cage that ran underneath it, and a and a motor with a blade in the front. And the way the guy he had a he had a, a tail rudder where he could steer it left and right but the way he steered it up and down was he would just run to the front of this this long metal gateway or he'd run to the back and his weight would make it either go up or down it just looks incredibly dangerous but i love that story about the spitzer building we gotta we have to do a, a, a 2k22 version or 2k23 version of it uh we'll just use a drone this time that'll be good we could do that um i, I don't want to I want to ask you this only because I had this conversation with a, uh, a business person downtown today. Um, and this person was lamenting, obviously COVID is affecting everything now, but yeah. the, the, the too long didn't read version portion is, um, they were wondering if we've, we've just hit our threshold for restaurants, especially during COVID. And we, whether it's other business owners, the city, downtown Toledo, Connect Toledo. There's so many of these organizations. And we really have to do a better job of attracting retail here um, so that all these great restaurants can continue to thrive and survive. Are we, are, have we gone overboard Are we with food and drink? And are we missing some elements to make sure that downtown continues on this trajectory? I, I think entertainment is the other area that is a huge opportunity for us downtown i mean if you you know look at uh, the, the valentine theater is kind of in an odd spot in yeah. a way because it's you know it's on the other end of what everybody considers the area that they go to for entertainment yep. whether it's fifth third field or or uh, huntington center but if you can connect the dots um, and run it up superior street then I think you know that could be an incredible area for entertainment. And then, I, yes, I do think that retail, it, it, we've got to get retail back downtown. I, I mean, I love sometimes you go up to the uptown area on a Saturday and you, people, you see people just you know, walking around and hitting the various places up and down. We need that same look in other parts of downtown. So um, I would agree that you know, maybe we might have peaked in terms of restaurants and bars and now we got to move into some other areas yeah um it's funny that was exactly the corridor that i was talking um to this person about because it you're you're right if we it you picked all the spots like we can go one end is up adam street where uh manos and manhattans and, and all those great mm -hmm. spots are but yep. then it kind of stops after wesley's there's like a two block vacuum yep. with i think some very expensive um loft apartments up for rent and then we get to the library which you know jason right Yes. When Jason's not getting ransomware, I mean, obviously right. the library is an incredible heartbeat to downtown. And now I think he and I can joke about that. Um, and I th think I think that the the one area I'm excited about is the old Central Post Office across from the Toledo Club, 
Um, you know, once yeah. Bitwise gets set up in there, yep. that neighborhood should take off again. And I'd love to see that become, uh, you know, the connector uh, for that whole neighborhood. And I, I would also, years, a few years ago, I was talking to somebody with Prometica who had just come back from a trip to Chicago. And they were at the Chicago History Museum, which is in Chicago's gaslight uh, neighborhood, where all the, at night, they light everything up with these gaslights. And she was saying, boy, wouldn't it be great if they did that neighborhood from the Toledo Club down? Yeah. Um, so I think, we'll, you know, we're going to have to be creative, um, you know, but I think we can do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have plenty of places to get great drinks, and, and we've got plenty of, of really good bar food. Um, but it's maybe time to expand our horizons a little bit. And, and it's funny, you, um, uh, you mentioned that specific area right there, and, and that side where the Valentine is. When I lived downtown, um, I, li- I lived in St. Clair Village. Mm-hmm. And to walk over, like if somebody said, hey, we're going to go to Ice or to Giorgio's, mm-hmm. totally walkable. Um, yeah. Maybe not in like the dead of winter or anything, but sometimes it would feel like I was practically walking to North Toledo. It, it just, yeah. the other side of the Huntington Center was like a different continent in a lot of ways. And you're right, if we can fill in some of those pockets, um, and maybe the Valentine has more activity, um, there will be life on that side of the arena as well because it deserves it and there's some great spots over there. Totally agree. Um, what kind of feedback did you get from um, the 100 places in Toledo that you have to see before you die? You know, uh, I was honestly, I was shocked at how well that book did. I mean, it's still selling. It sold like crazy uh, November and December for Christmas gift items. Um, It was at one point the number one travel, Ohio travel book on Amazon during the summer. Number one. I I couldn't believe it. Um, And, you know, the feedback's been terrific. I've had a few people who are upset that you know i didn't include a certain restaurant or something right. but i explained to him it's like it's my list you know it's not i'm not <laughs> saying it's this is the list it's just you know i have different you know different strokes for different folks um but i am i'm getting a lot of questions about are you going to do another version you know yeah. a, a second edition and reedy press has reached out and i think we are going to do a, a second edition when i get some of these other projects uh put to bed good 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 was there any one hot spot part of the book that was either beloved or super controversial you know i uh and you hear this all the time you know we all love to talk about downtown we all love to talk about our restaurants um but you know the one thing that everybody really loves is our metro parks yeah and that's the one and i covered them pretty extensively and because i've always been a big user of metro parks um, but if I was going to say there's one that everybody, you know, brings up, everybody has their favorite park, which is kind of cool. Yes. And, uh, the, you know, they'll debate you about it. You know, why Why is Secor better than Wildwood, <laughs> you know? so Yeah, I, when I had Matt on yesterday, I said, every time you say uh, within five miles from every Lucas County resident, do they, like, spiff you another 10 bucks or something? Yeah, um, exactly. But, no, it's an incredible thing. And every time there's some kind of... A little bit of a testy issue that we're giving more land to the metro parks um, and it takes away from taxable areas for businesses. I'm like, nobody ever went wrong by putting up more forestry and nature. Never. Exactly. Yep. Um, I got a couple final questions. I don't want to keep you too long. Um, go back to Toll House and, and Will and everything. And I had uh, Trevor Dieter on last week because so I'm a jazz fan and my friend Therese. Mm-hmm had told me about the places that I just missed when I moved here in 2013, the, the Murphys and the like, and I got going Rusties. to dinner. 
that one yeah, and I, I did Degage when I was so sad when it closed how yep. do you feel about the uh, the 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 quiet reemergence of jazz with Trevor doing brick bar stuff um, and Will doing Lucille's. I I think it's it's high time. I mean, this town has gone too long without a you know a real solid jazz venue. And I think Will everybody who's involved in that is onto something because that I think to me it's um, it's it's just a first class way to recognize our 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 roots and our heritage. And, you know, and you think about Art Tatum and, you know, just where we've been in terms of um, jazz music. Uh, we, we need to be well represented and we can't do that if we don't have a jazz venue. Yeah, it was wild that there was like simply no no consistent venue once Degage closed. And mm-hmm. I, I, I complain that we don't get enough like pop uh, pop act shows here. It's just country and some rehashed old shows which is fine they do well these are venues and they got to make money but to not have a, a jazz place was it kind of hurt my heart a little bit because outside of my my spot of, of pop music like i just love the jazz vibe of things i love to introduce people to john hendrix and and his style of of uh, music and you know i let people like listen for a while and they're like wow and i said you know where he's from no toledo yeah <laughs> you know yeah. that's one of our own um tell me about robin haig Robin and I have known each other for a number of years, and she's very active in a number of different historic uh, programs. She's been uh, uh, active in different cemetery association groups for a number of years. She's also uh, played a big role in uh, helping TPS kind of rebuild their uh, history and civics program. Uh, She's also written a book on Westmoreland um, just a, another person, similar to myself, who has a passion for local history, but she, you know, she, she's out there every day actively doing something with it. So that's really cool. Yeah, when I read the story about her and the program she had a couple of Thursdays ago, I, I figured, you know, I'm, I, I'm bold. I'll reach out to anybody, but I figured I'd ask you to get the vibe on her first. And once you give her a, a stamp of approval, um, I will reach out to her and uh, invite her on to get her perspective on things. Well, and I think she can introduce you to some really interesting people, too, because she has put together a speakers list for this initial conference uh, that, you know, I'm excited about. She's She's got some, some people lined up that, uh, you know, the public needs to hear. They've got, uh, I would just say, they're, they're not all historians. They're all great storytellers. Yeah. Maybe it's just who I've been in a social circle around. Um, but having grown up in Philadelphia and then having moved to Detroit and knowing the history of these these cities, um, there, that obviously creates a great amount of pride. And I, maybe I'm off base and again, maybe it's who, I, who I've hung around here. But I don't think we've done a good enough job sharing the rich history of Toledo with people to instill more pride. And there's nobody better to do it than, than you and somebody like Robin. Am I off base with the, the lack of Toledo history that we, we share here? Uh, I sadly, I think you are. I mean, I think it goes back, you know, in the way we've treated our downtown and we, you know, we've demolished so many cool buildings to make room for surface parking lots. And thank, you know, thankfully that's stopping and we're starting to understand, you know, these are things that we need to hang on to because they tell the story of the past and our character and our culture. Um, And as far as just the people part of it, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm really disappointed when I talk to somebody and they don't know who Art Tatum is, uh, you know, or, or John Hendricks. I mean, those are two people that everybody in Toledo needs to be aware of and be prideful in t- telling their friends, you know, about 
the, the that relationship back to Toledo. And maybe I maybe it's just because it's a passion point of mine with the, the Civil War and Lincoln and, and the complexity of the Frederick Douglass relationship from from foe and irritant to 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 friend and then coming across your story about how you know Toledo for me played an integral part of um, the Emancipation Proclamation and, and how Lincoln really got things together for an indelible inflection point in this country's history and then um, uh, the the day in the sun which was I know a, yeah. a really highly attended event and and celebrated but I I didn't know about it um, but the lead up into it, I didn't get the vibe that people looked at this as, I don't know, some of the things that I grew up around in like, like Philadelphia, like the, the birthplace of our country, some of the great history of Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, like this is something legendary. There's a, what, a hundred thousand people here in Toledo. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, we built an 80,000 seat stadium yeah. for the fight yeah, yeah. and for the Dempsey Willard fight in 1919, July 4th. And my favorite part of it is, the fact that you know people have said that the Roaring Twenties were born in Toledo, Ohio, on July fourth, nineteen nineteen. That's when it all started. I believe in it. Toledo. Yeah, I, I'm I'm here to help you and whoever else share this, the history of this great area. And and again, to what you spoke of earlier, this doesn't even go to some of the wild stories in Shunk, Ohio. That's right. Exactly. Um, one last thing. Have you eaten anywhere new you want to share or get excited about? Because we're having we have new restaurants popping up all the time. Um, I have I've not eaten there yet, but I'm uh, I'm excited about the there's a couple of places that are coming um, soon to the area. I don't know how much of this has been um, um Shared publicly? Shared publicly and advertised. <laughs> but um, there's a couple of places coming in. Um, I'm trying to think of the name of it right now. The Hawk. Cooper's a, Hawk. Cooper's Hawk. Yeah. Uh, very excited about that. Uh, Whitney Rovcarb is uh, with Thread, and she's, I know, worked with some of the publicity on that. And we were talking about it. That sounds really exciting. I mean, because that's different than what you normally see in the area. So I'm pretty stoked. Are you, uh, I, I got on Whitney's invite list. Um, so I'm going to be out there next Saturday for the dinner they're having. Will you be out there at all? I'll be out there. Exactly. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I have dinner at, uh, I think my reservation is 630. I'm doing the Saturday one, not the Thursday one, because I'll be on the air then. Okay. Um, but I'm looking forward to the, any other spots? Well, you know, I was just downtown, and this is one I just want to plug because I just love the family. Um, Michael's on the corner of Monroe yeah. in Michigan. Um, you know, Michael, the, the uh, father and, you know, the personality of, of, of that place for so many years passed away. Uh, we lost him uh, last summer. But the kids, George and John and uh, others, are they're, they're there, they're working it, and um, it's just a, I mean, it, it, it is, it's, when you walk in there, it looks like Toledo. It's just a great place. I've never eaten there before. I've passed it hundreds of times. A friend of mine who's getting married in October um, at the Glass City Metro Park Pavilion, her first go-to for catering was Michael's, and they're like, we're booked. Um, yeah. So I, I know about their popularity. Uh, if and when I go, what do I have to get? Well, you know, I'm, again, when <laughs> I wrote that book, people would, you know, tell me, you know, you left this off your list. Well, I've got a different palate than most people. I'm, I'm just into, you know, I'll just say greasy spoon stuff. So if you're looking for Chili Mac, Michael's at the corner of Michigan and Monroe. Uh, the Yakimatis family, I don't know if they have their own 
you know, recipe, you know, they do a little twist to it. It's fantastic. Awesome. When's the Lower Town Bourbon coming? I think he's, he's, they're waiting on, there's some state licensing that goes on with that type of a rollout. And I think that the plan is to have it out in April. If there's a tasting, don't hesitate to invite me. I've actually <laughs> never, I've never been to Toledo Spirits because they opened up a little bit after I left downtown and that spot and Toll House are like the hardest places in the area for me to get to for where I live. So. Well, I think we need to do this then. We should just <laughs> set up a date and we'll hit both those places in one night and have a ball. I like it. I like it. Um, <laughs> thanks as always. I could I could truly listen to you tell stories forever as a, thanks, as a history nerd. And now I can tell somebody I know about Chunk, Ohio and exactly. Hidden Gold. Yes. Um, so thanks again. And Remarkable 419 and the Holy Toledo History Blog are the things that if people have enjoyed this podcast, and I know they have, they've got to follow to watch these projects grow and build, especially Remarkable 419. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ted. Take care.